Hello, my friends. It's Ryan Gard coming to you live once again from the kitchen table at my house in Chandler. I was going to be at Grand Canyon University this morning. I actually accepted a position with those guys as an admissions counselor. And today was going to be my first day, uh, but we ended up getting another job offer uh, that starts next Monday. That's a better job. But I actually also have another potential offer that's better than both of those that I have one last interview this week for. So fingers crossed. Uh, sorry, GCU. Uh, it broke down to I would have had to leave my house at the crack of dawn, drive an hour in traffic, and then come back and get home 11 hours later every day after driving through traffic again. Would have been cool to be an admissions counselor, I, I think, maybe. Uh, just wasn't in the cards, so here we are. It's Monday. I'm still stay-at-home dadding it. The kids are in the other room, and so you may hear one of them come crashing in. But I wanted to share with you uh, what we talked about last Sunday. It was July 4th weekend, which is typically, and you know, know this, but it's super low crowd typically. Um, this is why like every July 4th weekend the youth pastor preaches in every church. Uh, it was always when I got my shot for years and years. Um, and it was always like 40% of the normal crowd. Um, people didn't own a boat or whatever. And, uh, but this last one at the house we're meeting in in Gilbert, which seats like 60 or 70 easily if we want it to, uh, it hasn't yet, <laughs> but it was packed, man. It was a big crowd. Is there probably our biggest crowd it was a huge crowd. Uh, it was a big crowd, which we did not expect. So it was, I don't know, it was a lot of fun seeing uh, some new faces and um, digging into this stuff. It was sort of a conversation slash Bible study slash sermon slash just people hanging out in a house talking about Jesus and asking questions. And it was, it was pretty dope. So come this Sunday if you want to. Uh, you can find the information. We're going to be talking about prayer this Sunday, because that's what Jesus talked about next in Matthew 6. So uh, I'm going to dig in real quick. I'm going to try to make this shorter than Sunday. Um, but there were a couple things that, again, I just felt like were so good and so helpful for me uh, and hopefully for you. So check it out. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to pull up my notes. Verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness or your good deeds in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Be careful, it said, not to practice your righteousness. Don't practice your righteousness. Don't practice or do these like good things. Um, you know, for them, maybe it was fasting or it was giving or praying, whatever it might have been. Uh, maybe some things come to mind as you've seen people sort of do these things sort of out loud and boisterous and you kind of wondered in your heart, like, what's your motive? What's your intention? What is this all? What is that about? And um, try not to judge, but you naturally sometimes notice people doing certain things and you're like, are you doing that? What, why? You know, so he said, don't do that. Don't, don't like show off to be seen, he said by them. Uh, and actually the translation is to be theater. The, the better wording there is like to be a, kind of an actor. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't practice your righteousness, your good deeds in front of others to be sort of a theater for them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your father in heaven. He's like, your reward is going to be their attention. That's it. Uh, but when you do give, so when you give to the needy, so assuming you do, uh, he's just assuming this, that you do. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, which would be awkward, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. So they're giving to the needy, but the reason is really crystal clear. They're doing it so that they get honor um, and they're honored by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. It was the attention they got. But when you give to the needy, here's this phrase, it's so good. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like, what? And then he says, so that you're giving maybe in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so a quick pause. I remember early in my sort of walk journey Jesus thing, uh, the rewards thing was a big deal for me. I was like, oh, sick. I'm going to get like Scrooge McDuck style rewards in heaven. I think I get a crown. Uh, I think I get all the, it, but real quick, uh, just a different sermon for a different day. The reward, in, in my humble opinion, is the dynamic presence of God in your life. The satisfaction of knowing that you're loved and blessed where you are and his smile on you. I think that's the reward we're aiming for here. It's living in rhythm with God and knowing that and feeling that. And that's, that's the reward versus like, if you hope one day you get a crown, um, I just think you may feel silly wearing a crown in front of the king of kings. Your, your Burger King crown is going to look a little bit sort of trite. So, you know, different sermon, different day. But here's Jesus teaching really gently, gentler than I did, it seems. Um, that if you're kind of bragging and showing off, that what you get is, well, people noticing. And there's, hey, there's some payoff there. Um, if we're honest, attention's nice. It's nice to get attention. It's why maybe some of us get all fancy or maybe we, you know, maybe that's why you work out. And you're all yoked. It's totally why I'm yoked. <laughs> uh, no. But uh, he's gone. There's something better. There's something better. So, okay, ask you a question. This is what we started with on Sunday. What is something that for you, just think about it, and there's some really easy answers. What is something that at first like seemed impossible uh, when you tried it or thought about trying it, but now uh, it just comes natural, you know? What, what is it that seemed terrifying? How in the heck am I going to do this? Maybe for you it was like driving, you know, for, for, it wasn't me for driving, driving for me, except for driving stick, that was terrifying. I didn't understand how all that worked. Um, fun fact, pre-Jesus, the first time I ever drove stick, I was hammered at three in the morning and I took my buddy Trevor's car and I crashed it. That didn't work out. So P.S. Jesus can change anyone's life. <laughs> That's proof. Um, but maybe for you, it was, maybe if you're older and you're listening, <laughs> maybe it was texting. You had the index finger kind of pointed out, and you're tapping on your phone, trying to it, figure it out. So texting could have been, or T9. Remember T9, back on the flips? Uh, I, I worked at Signal Cellular at the mall, and I was such a terrible salesman at the time. That I, I, I think at the time. Hopefully I've improved. Uh, but I remember telling people, oh, don't use that. You don't need to worry about that. I'm like selling cell phones and I'm just telling them, yeah, you don't, I don't know, T9, don't worry about that. Just, just tap A three times and you get to C and then tap B or two, one, whatever it is. Uh, but that seemed terrible, terrifying to me. Um, maybe for you, the really simple one is like riding a bike. That's what all of us thought of, right? Like the first time maybe you got on a bike and you had training wheels on it f- before that and that's cool and you had the helmet and that's cool. But then you took the training wheels off and, you know, mom, dad, brother, sister, whoever, like, holds on to you. Maybe if it's an older brother, they, like, put you at the top of a hill. Uh, or if they were, like, a loving, you know, adult, they held your seat and ran alongside you and then eventually let go. And we all have this. You know, I've got two boys that I've done this with. Hadley eventually, hopefully, will let me let go of the seat. Uh, <laughs> 
but it's beautiful. And in the beginning, you, you can hunt it down on my Instagram. I showed this video to the crowd on Sunday of this, this moment. Gavin figured it out. And I let go, and he's, like, screaming, and he's yelling, like, I'm doing it, Dad, I'm doing it. And uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And the, even Griffin, just watching Griffin kind of sort of excel in sports, in my subjective, totally biased opinion, he's amazing. Um, and, you know, from the sideline, uh, I'm, I'm on the sideline now. I'm not allowed to coach him anymore. A certain someone said I was supposed to not coach our son anymore because apparently I get a little too whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I thought of him uh, in a moment as I was shouting at him and his mom was shouting at him and like six other adults were shouting at him trying to give him instructions while he's on the field trying to sort out the shouts and everything sounds, you know, maybe foreign and unfamiliar and He's out there trying to figure it out, but now, like, you throw the kid a ball and he'll hunt it down no matter where you throw it. It's become kind of natural to him. Uh, but bef- you know, so go back to the bike example. The first time that Griffin and Gavin and you and me ever rode a bike, we probably, um, in those initial pedals, said something like, "Look at me! Check me out!" Woo! And screamed a little bit. I'm doing it! I'm doing it! Had that sort of excitement about it, but then it it became natural. Right? It, became, it wasn't new and terrifying, and I wasn't trying to sort anything out anymore. It was just like you know, just driving a car these days. It's second nature. There's, there's nobody shouting at me anymore, typically. It's just you know, those things that seemed impossible. This is a very simple idea, but now they're natural. And it started with words. It starts with words, uh, these instructions that eventually become internalized, and they become an internalized way of doing things. And, Meaning like, okay, you, you got to, <laughs> all the instructions, like, okay, stay up on the bike and pedal hard and look forward and lean and relax your elbows and all those things. Um, those are all just words and instructions that eventually become internalized and you, you're no longer even conscious that you're pedaling or you're braking. You're not thinking through all of the instructions and the information. The information, you could say, you could say it this way, it's led to transformation. Like the information, all of the shouting from the sidelines and all the instructions and all of that stuff that we were told how to drive a car or pedal a bike or kick a soccer ball or catch a ball, whatever. All that information turned into transformation. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us how to move from this new idea to normal to second nature. New idea to normal to second nature. And I don't know your journey, a a real brief history of mine. All of this was new when I first stepped into church at 21 years old. I had never been to a church. I had been to a couple, I guess. But most experiences I had with Jesus were just weird. Church, Christians, any of them. It was just, I wanted nothing to do with it. So when I stepped into what felt like an environment that wasn't odd or weird, it was, oh, this is is all new. It's, It's super foreign, but... I brought with me a a whole different mindset um, in the world of relationships. Uh, You know, I was using people. Like, the things that were normal for me in this new community weren't so normal, or they weren't supposed to be. Um, (laughs) But for me, you know, I, I would, like, all throughout high school and college just, you know, I'd say what someone wanted to hear to get what I wanted in a relationship. And I, I was surrounded with you know, people and, uh, that had multiple relationships. And there's, you know, there's all sorts of things going on here. So I had this idea that 
this is just how it works. This is how you make marriage work. This is how you whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and then I, I'm introduced to this whole new world. And, and, and on, on top of that, let's just keep talking about me. I'll leave you alone. But I was, I was a freaking liar. I was so dishonest. It was like my native tongue, man. I was fluent uh, in fibbing. That's <laughs> uh, not my notes. That's from Jesus. I was fluent in, in just, I was a liar. And stepping into this new world with these new people that seemed really honest and were, and as that became a part of my life too, where I didn't have to lie, I didn't have to lie. And then I realized one day I, I didn't even think about it. I just, I just kept telling the truth and I was like, well, this is kind of nice. It just became natural. It was new to me, honestly, to be honest. And then it became sort of normal. And then there was this reality of like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is better. This is actually, this is better. Um, and, and we taste and see these things and experience these things that were once new. And obviously, listen, none, none of us are perfect. I'm not implying that by any means. Um, but I am saying, here's the teaching. The teaching is Jesus saying, all right, there's, there's going to be a new idea. I'm going to get to the, how that all fits a new idea that becomes a normal thing, that the prayer is that this would become something just natural. Like for me in that story, like the reality that I can just be one person and tell one story was incredibly freeing. Instead of navigating the courtroom of life and trying to make sure I kept, that's just exhausting. And the old way, whatever the old way is, it starts to feel, you know, when you learn something new and it becomes normal, the old way starts to feel like strange. You know, you could even say wrong. Now, to understand where Jesus is coming from and what he's trying to teach here in our time together, you know that there's this thing called the Ten Commandments. You hopefully know that comes from the left side of your Bible. Uh, the Ten Commandments were literal commandments. Uh, like, you know, here's, here comes one that they needed to hear, apparently. Uh, do not murder. <laughs> now, for it to be a commandment and make it into the top, like the top ten, excuse me, it must have been a problem. Uh, must have been a problem for the people of God. So here comes Moses saying, God told me to tell you, stop killing each other. So when you meet someone new uh, and you leave that meeting, that person should still be alive. That's the revolutionary idea is, hey, can you just no more killing? Stop murdering people. That's not very revolutionary today. There are hopefully none of us listening right now that are like, you know, I'm not so sure that's a great, great rule. Please keep listening if that's you forever to everything. Um, but then, so you have this commandment that's in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, but you don't see that in the New Testament. What do you see? Like this new idea of like, don't murder. Uh, that became you know, normal. But then here's Jesus in the New Testament in John 15 saying, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's a trajectory. That's a don't murder. And here's Jesus going, don't just not murder. There's no greater love than to lay your life down for your friends. So it's not just don't kill. But Jesus is teaching this, this should be second nature to not just like don't kill, but affirm all of life wherever you find it. Don't, don't kill. That, that was so long. We're, we're past that. It's now like there's a greater way to even see and understand the world and yourself and God and one another. It's not, don't just kill that person because they're frustrating, but affirm their life. So Jesus is interested in, here's the key to the whole thing. Jesus is interested in moving people to a higher state of consciousness. 
to a higher state of consciousness. He's, he's interested in this trajectory. There's this verse that, I won't read it verbatim, but it's in John 16, it's verse 12. He says, essentially, there, there's so much more I want to tell you right now. There's so much more I want to say to you right now, but you're not ready. And then he didn't say it. He said, there's so much more that I want to share with you right now, but you can't handle it. You can't bear it. He understood that where they were at that time, even with Matthew pen in hand, he's like, no, no, you can't. He's like, the spirit's going to come and the spirit's going to help you understand the things that you're just not ready to understand. It's, it's going to, this new that I want to introduce to you will, it's just going to be unbearable. It's going to cause you harm and you're going to create, you know, what, what are they going to do? And some, when there's an idea that's so new and so what in the world is he talking about? You know, maybe for me and for you, you probably create like a defense mechanism. You probably put up a wall and you reject it at first because you're just going, there's no way that's true. There's no way that can be true. That's wrong because it doesn't like fit in this container you have that is your consciousness. And Jesus is constantly going to be pushing for a higher state and to expand our understanding. And that sounds like some sort of self-help, whatever talk, but it's just not. And hopefully you've experienced this. Hopefully you disagree with 10-year-old you on some things that now you see, oh, I just couldn't even see it or understand it or I couldn't even make that jump or that leap. I couldn't, I just wasn't ready, fill in the blank. You know, we all have those things where, I mean, I've, I've shared this a couple times, maybe not on the podcast, but I've literally, this is my dumb wiring, but I've like yelled at someone, uh, like in her face, uh, an old roommate years ago, she said something to me about the nature of God and something theological and ask me sometime if you're interested. But I remember looking at her and saying, you, you, you just say whatever you want. You believe whatever you want. You just, there's no rules for you. You just, and that was like mm, 15 years ago. And at the time I was like a prophet. I was this like up and coming, whatever, whatever in my own eyes. Um, and now today, 15 years later, I fully agree with what she said to me that I was furious. She said to me at the time, that'll humble you, dude. You think you know everything and then you look back at like 25-year-old you and you're like, frick. (sighs) So this is why Jesus is so gentle with us. We're such silly creatures. And this is why he said, uh, do not think that I've come, this is 517, don't think I've come to abolish this, uh, the law or the prophets. I haven't come to like abolish them, but I've, I've come to fulfill them. I've come to, what he's saying is, I've come to make them speak. All these laws, all these things, all this. I'm, try, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you what these words look like when they take on flesh and blood. I want this information uh, to turn into, gosh, incarnation. Uh, and he wants to teach us how these words actually become flesh, because you know it's, you know, it's pretty possible that we'll do it wrong if we're not careful. And so there's this verse that alludes to this as well. It's in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, which I'm going to find so quickly. Uh, Here it is, Jeremiah 31, verse 31, says, The days are coming, listen to the prophet, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, this is what Jesus did, I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Isn't that interesting? Not on a statue, not engraved in stone, not even necessarily in a book. I mean, I'm just reading scripture. He said, I'm going to put this in their minds and on their hearts. I'm going to write it on their hearts. And if it's on your heart, then that's going to give you the capacity to do things naturally, like these good things Jesus talked about. Like if it's on your heart, and if it's a part of your DNA, if it's just a part of who you are, it's a part of who God has made you, then uh, as a grown man (laughs) riding a bicycle around my neighborhood, I'm probably not going to be like, woo! Check me out! (laughs) I'm riding a bike! I'm riding a bike. I'm not going to ride around. You're going to think, that dude's a lunatic. Like, call the authorities. There's a grown, middle-aged man riding around (laughs) with, like, the most thrill on his face. It's kind of sweet and endearing if I was that excited about riding a bike. But I'm just not. You know why? Because I've been riding a bike since 83. (laughs) Like, it's not... So if... Or maybe if I was riding around with one hand, going, woo! Like, one hand, check me out. You'd think, why are you you bragging about riding a bike? Why are you drawing attention to something that, for the rest of us, just comes naturally? Make sense? So earlier, it was, uh, don't kill people. Matthew 5 was all about, like, revenge and adultery and all these things that are obvious. These kind of really obviously the bad things. Now it's these good things that can get in the way. Like murder, yeah. Rage, yeah. Showing off, yeah. Like if you did it for the show, like I hope they clapped because that's all you're going to get. And the hope here in this text Jesus has is like a follower of Jesus should gradually more and more not just understand the world, not just understand the cause, whatever, but naturally see these good things as like, well, yeah, of course, of course I do that. Like, and, and even think about the people that you know that are like the most generous with their time and their money. I would imagine most of those people don't think about it very often. It's just a natural gear. It's like, well, yeah, if you even bring it up, they probably have the like, not like a fake look of like surprise, but like, a, well, 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 yeah, of, of course. That's what I do. And again, there's no shame here. There's no, you should try harder. It's just, this is the teaching. Jesus is going. I want to take you from new to normal to it's like riding a bike. I want to take you from new to normal to it's like, it's like driving to the store. To, from new to normal to, yeah, of course I treat people that way. That's just natural. From new to normal to like, no, I... I why would I lie? I have, nothing to, I have nothing to hide. That's the hope. That's the trajectory. And here's the implication. Like all these things, these good deeds, um, they're all great. And you maybe have been around a place or some people where it was like all the Christian things, but it still felt like Jesus had left the building. You know what I mean? Like it can be all Christian all day, and still feel like, wait, I don't, I don't see Jesus in this. I don't see, I don't sense, I don't feel, you know, like kind of like Elvis. Like it just feels like Jesus left the building. Even if it's 
it's really great and fancy. You know what I'm talking about? So here's the, here's, here's the thing, like gently with you for a second. Um, I, I get it. As someone who is like six foot three uh, and still has my hair, uh, I was just sort of given this sort of gift of sort of automatic confidence. I'm not bragging. I'm going to take a shot at myself in a sec. But like, like, you know, I am uh, like Saul in the Old Testament. Like he got the job because he was tall. <laughs> and I think I got my first ministry job because I was tall and loud. And when, if you peeled back all the layers though, my first, gosh, I don't know, three, four, 10, 40 years of this, like I still felt incredibly insecure and I was a terrible communicator and a terrible pastor. They called me a director, <laughs> but I was because I was still so desperate for people to like me and think I was cool. And I brought all of that with me into like this everyday life of mine. And maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. You still need that attention and that affirmation from people. And I get it because I was there. I, and there was, there was a moment where I started to feel a little bit of progress in realizing in my particular position, it was, it, it was actually in a teaching context. I remember before I went up one Sunday that I wasn't thinking like, well, how do I look or how are they going to perceive me? How are they going to experiencing me? I remember the moment for me and I have a million miles to go, but this moment was encouraging because I realized uh, maybe it was whispered to me. It just this epiphany kind of hit me that I wasn't thinking about me. I really was thinking about the people I got to share with. And I remember thinking like, I really, really hope they hear this. And I really hope this helps. And it shifted this like desire, this overwhelming desire for people's attention and affirmation into this really, really strong desire for them to experience something and be encouraged and to grow. And it, it freed me from me. That's a big deal. I'm a pain in the butt. I am my own worst enemy. It's a different sermon, but maybe you know what I'm talking about. Like, so here's, here's the reality. And I, I'm sure I sit me down with a good therapist and they're going to go, dude, you have not a million, you have a billion miles to go. Fantastic. That's great. I'm sure. I know I do. And nobody's arguing right now. Nobody's like, I don't think he does. No, you're all like, yeah, bro. You sure do. Great. But here's the, here's the reality. And this is what hits me. This is Jesus being brilliant uh, and teaching on a trajectory. He's teaching on purpose. He's not just throwing like fortune cookies at the wall here. Matthew 5 started out with like, you are blessed when you're poor in spirit. You're blessed when, when you're mourning. You're blessed when you're hurting. You're blessed when you're small. You're blessed when you're hungry. You're blessed when you're thirsty. You're blessed when you're starving. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed in those places, like at the lowest of the low, at your spiritual bankruptcy, at your spiritual impoverishment, at your spiritual, I've got nothing to bring to the table at this moment. And when Jesus in this teaching goes, and I'm with you, and I love you, and I embrace you, and I bless you there. If you don't meet God there in chapter five, you're going to seek validation everywhere. Does that make sense? If you don't realize that you have already been validated and affirmed by the one who made you and is better at validating and affirming you than anyone on this planet ever will be, it's like, I'm better. I'm better at that. I'm better. Get that from me. You won't walk around with a trumpet 
<laughs> begging for people's attention. You won't need to. Eventually you'll go, what? No, I don't, I really, I care about them, but I, I don't need that from them. Like my value and my like self-worth isn't based on how well I perform and how much I give and what people think about all of that. What people think about how well I performed and what people think about how well I, you won't need that. So uh, landing the plane quickly, this is, how, how does anything become second nature? You got to practice it. And he's like, don't practice it for attention. He's like, you might need to practice it. Put some small habits in your life that eventually you'd go, oh yeah, that's sort of automatic. It wasn't at first, but it took me a while. But yeah, I don't even, but it starts out with small habits. It starts out with like, hey, all right, every day I'm going to, and you know what you need. You know what you need. So fill in the blank and start a, start a small habit. Just create, don't create, a, I'm going to read the Bible. That, don't do that. Like just for this week, I'm going to carve out X amount of minutes per day, every other day, whatever, per Monday, whatever you got to do, start a small habit. And I promise you, just like anything in life, this is Jesus going, it, it'll, it'll become habitual. It'll become second nature, but you're going to have a foot on the brake the entire time if you're practicing it for other people's attention. That's just, he's trying to free us from that. That the new would become normal, that the normal would become second nature. What would the world look like if Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 were second nature for every Christian on this planet. A watching world would be pretty interested in that, I'd guess. So thanks for tuning in, my friends. Recorded to you live on an iPhone with headphones in at my kitchen table with my seven-year-old peeking through our glass doors every few minutes trying to get in here to get a snack. Thank you for his patience and <laughs> thank you for yours. I hope to see you Sunday. We'll be, we'll be hanging out. Otherwise, uh, catch the next podcast when it's up. Uh, glad to get this one to you early. Hope you guys have a fantastic week. Love you guys. And uh, fingers crossed, man. Be praying or thinking about me if you think about it. Uh, the whole career thing is taking a shift this week. Church things, staying best we can, doing what we can. But something's happening this week. And I have no idea what it is. And I kind of like it that way. All right, friends. Love y'all. Have a great day.